right. Three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Wednesday, October 17th. And uh, this, I, I hope you're doing well. This is the busiest week I've had in a long time. Um, in fact, I'm going to cut the music. I want this to be dramatic. <laughs> I, uh, I want you guys to know I'm, I'm a college student. I live in a dorm room and uh, I have 18 credits a semester. I have four jobs. I do strong opinion sports every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, I, I, I'm maxed out. And, uh, you know, I miss Monday's show. I want to first of all apologize. That's not how I like to conduct myself. I don't mean to miss shows. It's I, I, something I really do not like doing. Um, but time is not a luxury I have a lot of. And, um, you know, I get comments from people sometimes saying, I wish you had a better background. They don't like the gray background. Or I wish you would put more graphics on. And I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, I, there was a lot of stuff I want to add to this show that I simply don't have the time or resources to do right now. But I'm there. But I want you to understand my time is extremely limited. Like, I, I am... I, I maxed out, and it breaks my heart, but I'm giving it all I can. I'm doing the very best I can. And truthfully, if you want a better background, if you want more graphics, the best thing you can do is to help me grow. Tell your friends about this show. Share it Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Help me grow so I can make a little bit of money off of this and get an apartment and have a dedicated studio and have to work less on my other jobs, editing and doing other stuff, so I can spend time editing for Strong Opinion Sports. That's what I want to do. Um, but you know, I just, I hope, I hope you understand. I, I, I got a lot going on and I know I, I have five major projects due on Friday and, uh, something really excited, exciting happened this week. Um, Thursday, tomorrow's Thursday, tomorrow, Friday and Saturday, I'm working for ESPN's college game day. Huge deal. Really cool. I'll be working on set. I, I really hope to get a picture with Kirk Herbstreet. That's kind of my dream. Um, but part, what that meant was I had to miss the show on Monday because I had to turn in all my projects Friday because I'm not going to be in class Thursday or Friday. I had to get everything done for the week today rather than on Friday. So I'm doing the best I can, I promise. Um, but, but I hope you understand. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff I want to do with this show. And I'm just, I'm just I got to get through college. I got two years left. I have 14, uh, 14, 18 credits. I have four jobs. And I'm doing everything I can. But I, I promise you, I'm, I'm giving this show my all. Um, I want to start with this. I'm excited. This is my favorite opener in a long time. Um, I'm so excited for this topic. Giants wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. recently made comments about his quarterback, Eli Manning. He came out, he said that, you know, Eli Manning, basically he was respectful, but he said, Eli Manning isn't cutting it. You know, we need a better quarterback if we're going to win games. And uh, Giants owner John Mara said that Odell Beckham Jr. basically needs to be quiet. He said he needs to talk less and play more. And, uh, you know, half of me was inclined to agree initially. I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. I, I do prefer quieter players like Julio Jones, and I wish that Odell Beckham Jr. was not as loud and not as boisterous. But on the other hand, you can defend Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, first of all, what he said was entirely truthful. The Giants are struggling in large part because of Eli Manning. His arm is not big enough to stretch the field vertically. But here's why I really, really hate what the Giants owner, John Mara, said. John Mara, what did you expect? Like, what, when you signed Odell Beckham Jr. to this massive contract, what did you expect? I, did you expect him to never talk again, to never make headlines ever again? 
I mean, I don't know. I, I'm in college. And what that means is I'm around, I live in a dorm room actually, and I, I'm around freshmen often, freshmen girls especially. Um, you know, I th- I'm 21 years old. You'd think I'd be through the classes with no freshmen, but I'm still not. <clears throat> and, you know, I meet girls. They're young freshmen. They play loud music all the time. They're constantly drinking. Like, literally, on Tuesday nights, they'll be drunk, and you're like, what are you doing? They carry these little jewel pods, e-cigarettes all the time. They don't go to class. These girls are they're kind of all over the place. They're just not stable. They're not very mature. And, uh, you know, some of these girls, they hit on me. They tell me, oh, Zach, I like you so much. And I, I don't know. When I date girls, I look for maturity and stability. Those are like my number two most important things. And if I started dating a freshman girl, one of those girls that's all over the place, smoking e-cigarettes, drinking all the time, if I started dating one of those girls and expected stability, I would be a fool. Dude, you expected the wrong thing. This is the girl who came over drunk on a Tuesday. I had to drive her home. She blasted loud music in her room while you were studying. She got, filled your room with e-cigarette smoke. What did you expect? What did you expect? You started dating her and you thought she would suddenly change? No. John Mara made the same mistake. The Giants owner. Dude, hello. We've learned what Odell Beckham Jr. is. Odell Beckham Jr. is the guy who hangs out with models that do coke. At least that's what the picture looked like. And Odell Beckham Jr., he beats up kicking nets and then proposes them in the very next game. Odell Beckham Jr. also makes ridiculous plays about once a year. About once, maybe twice a year, he makes some insane, ridiculous highlight catch. And you're like, wow, that's amazing. That's what John Mara should have expected. You expect a lot of antics. And you also expect about one to two really big plays a year. That's what we've learned about him. That's who he is. His comments about Eli Manning were honest. I thought kind of mild. They weren't that bad. They were truthful. They were honest. They were real. He got fined by the Giants. I think a lot of that is because he broke team policy. He did not give them a heads up about the interview. He said, I didn't tell them I'm going to do a nationally televised interview. And you could argue maybe he's maturing. I don't think he is. I I do not see OBJ making great strides, becoming this magnificent leader in the locker room. I don't think that's who he is. But look, the Giants knew who they were committing to. You can't fault. I mean, you can, if you want to fault Odell Beckham Jr., you can. But at least that guy's been completely honest, completely real, true to himself. John Mara, you signed a massive contract. You gave Odell Beckham Jr. a massive contract. And you, you expected him to change? You thought overnight he'd become a different person? You're the fool in this situation. Odell Beckham Jr., you may not like him, but John Mara is the fool. What did you expect? You gave this guy a massive contract. Oh, and shocker, he's been exactly what he's been for the last four or five years. Hello? I don't understand. I, I don't get this. I, I don't. John Mara, like this, this quote, I wish he would focus more on football and talk less. I mean, he's never given you an indication he would do anything but what he's done so far this year. I don't know. Now, personally, I find Odell Beckham Jr. obnoxious. I don't like the guy. I mean, I saw some famous rapper or actor. Someone posted after the Giants lost to the Eagles. He said, uh, you know, OBJ and Saquon are the only two people on the Giants roster giving forth effort. Something like that. Like, these are the only two guys really trying hard. And I hate that. 
Uh, first of all, it's not true. Uh, but it just divides the locker room. That's not accurate at all. I think often Odell Beckham Jr. gets people to support him because that's the cool thing to do. He's the the fun guy in the room. I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not a big fan. I mean, Odell Beckham Jr. has one touchdown in six games this year. <laughs> you can blame Eli all you want, but OBJ's had opportunities. He's had chances to make big plays. I'm just tired of people acting like he's Superman and then making a bunch of excuses for him on the side. I don't, I don't get it. I don't like it. I'm not a fan of it. I mean, you don't see Saquon Barkley all over the field dancing, doing interviews, bringing attention to himself, and that's what it seems like. You know, Odell comes across like someone who is an obnoxious attention seeker, even if that's not what's in his heart. Maybe he's a great guy, but from the outside looking in, he just looks like a person who is desperate for attention. And I, 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 I don't like it. I'm not a fan. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of that. I, I don't, I hear, I'm, of course, I'm the guy talking to a microphone, desperate for, I don't know, but I just, I don't like what OBJ is doing. I'm not a fan of it. Um, I, that's my opinion on it. I, I just not, not a fan of that. Uh, we have a great show today. I'm really excited. We're going to talk about Case Keenum, the Broncos quarterback, why he should be the starting quarterback for the rest of the year. I'm also going to tell you why the Jaguars should not trade for the Giants quarterback, Eli Manning. We're going to talk about the LSU quarterback, Joe Burrow. We'll talk about Nick Bosa down the road. He left college football today. Uh, We're going to talk about the NBA, the Major League Baseball playoffs. We'll talk about the 49ers. A bunch of great stuff. Of course, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. And, And please help me grow by telling your friends about the show. It'd mean a lot to me. And, uh, you know, share the show, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. Water first. My, my lovely Pac-12 water. Dude, I've been so lucky. I, I've worked for so many cool television networks in the last two years, doing so many cool shoots. I'm just, I'm incredibly fortunate. You know, game day is, I'm, I'm so excited, man. I remember I grew up watching ESPN College Game Day. And, and on Saturday, I'm going to be on the set. I, I just can't believe it. It's so cool. So excited. Um, very fortunate. You know, I'm not lucky. I'm fortunate because I worked hard to get here. Um, but I also am I'm pretty fortunate to, to be in a position like that. I want to talk now about the Denver Broncos. <clears throat> Case Keenum, the Denver Broncos quarterback, recently sparked a little bit of controversy. Um, I mean, right now the Broncos are two and four. And Keenum's been underwhelming, probably is the best way to put it. Um, he's got a 63% completion percentage. That's not terrible. But he's got seven touchdowns to eight interceptions. And uh, some Broncos fans are calling for his job. They want the Broncos to commit to Chad Kelly, the backup quarterback, rather than playing Case Keenum the rest of the year. Well, head coach Vance Joseph came out and said, nope, Case Keenum is our quarterback. And I, I completely agree. I really support that. Um, I think I th- Here's what Case Keenum is to me. I was once shooting a, a show for a Pac-12 Network show. It was a live show, a live event, really cool. And, um, you know, yeah, I mean, Yogi Roth was there. Yogi Roth is my favorite commenter. I love him as an analyst. Um, but Sun in the background is becoming an issue. I'm, I'm behind my camera, and Sun is becoming a problem. I'm the guy operating a camera. The glare was super bad. I couldn't figure out what to do. And um, I needed a lens hood, which is like this big device you put 
around the lens, it kind of extends. It's like putting a, a, a hat, a bill of a hat in front of your face. It shields your face. It protects you from glare. Well, I, I couldn't run to the truck. I didn't have a, a lens hood on me. So I, I grabbed a piece of cardboard. I placed it over the top of the camera. And it, it worked. It, it was good enough. It worked as a lens hood. Not perfect. Um, it, it would move around in the wind and had a little bit of problems. But it was a temporary fix. It did the job for now. I got through the show and the show was over. We had a break for like an hour, then another live show at halftime. And, uh, you know, during that break, I went to the truck and got a big lens hood, got exactly what I needed. But it got me through the rest of the show was that dumb piece of cardboard. It was flimsy, not perfect, but it did the job. And that is exactly what Case Keenum is. Case Keenum is that piece of cardboard. It's not ideal, but it's good enough. Case Keenum is a temporary fix to the Broncos' long-term big quarterback problem. He's like duct tape for the Denver Broncos. Despite what everyone told me, I knew this year, Case Keenum's not a franchise quarterback. He never was. All these Broncos fans this offseason were like, you know, Case Keenum is the truth. He's going to lead us to the Super Bowl. You're you're delusional fans. I feel sad for you. Uh, He's a backup. He's a solid backup. But for right now, for the rest of the year, 2018, Case Keenum is good enough for the Denver Broncos. You got to get to the end of the show. And here's the thing. If Chad Kelly was really as great as everyone acts like he is, he would be playing. I mean, the Broncos are not happy with the way Case Keenum is playing. I'm sure they want better. But Chad Kelly's not better than Case Keenum or else I guarantee you he would be playing. Um, So I don't know. Case Keenum, I remember watching him fail the end of the game against the Chiefs. It's frustrating. I mean, they lost to a rookie quarterback two weeks ago, Sam Darnold. I can't feel good. Um, and I know that, that that piece of cardboard wasn't perfect. It moved in the wind. I had to keep my hand on it the whole time. But it was good enough for the next break, and that's exactly what Case Keenum is. He's a good enough temporary solution until you can get to the NFL draft. The answer to the Broncos quarterback problems is not Case Keenum. It's also not Chad Kelly. It's down the road in the NFL draft, and you just got to get to the NFL draft. And for now, Case Keenum's good enough to get you there. Now, maybe if you want to tank, if you want to be terrible, uh, maybe play Chad Kelly. I understand that. But if you want to win games, Case Keenum is the right guy for the Broncos. He's not perfect. I don't love Case Keenum. But he's a good enough temporary solution to get the Broncos a couple wins down the road until they can finally solve the problem they have in the 2018 NFL Draft. Case Keenum should remain the Broncos' starting quarterback for the rest of the season. Okay, today's Wednesday. On Thursday Night Football, tomorrow, the Broncos play the Cardinals. And I really strongly believe this is a must-win game for the Denver Broncos. They're playing a rookie quarterback, Josh Rosen. The Cardinals have a rookie quarterback. And there's no way that you can, if you're the Broncos, two weeks ago you lost to a rookie quarterback, Sam Darnold. And the Broncos have lost three straight games. They're now two and four. You can't go two and five with two losses to rookie quarterbacks. It's impossible. In fact, I think that if the Broncos go two and five, not only is Case Keenum in trouble, I think Vance Joseph, the Broncos head coach, would be in trouble. Uh, So I've said my piece. I think that Case Keenum, the Broncos quarterback, he's good enough. He doesn't cut it. He's not a long-term solution. But for the rest of the year, he can get you through until you can play, until you can draft the right quarterback you need in 2018. 
But I really hope that the Broncos do not fire Vance Joseph, their head coach. I think you need to give Vance Joseph a real, legitimate quarterback before you can judge him. Before you you rush to judgment, Vance Joseph, ah, he's not good enough. Ah. Before you have that opinion, take a deep breath, ready? Hmm. Vance Joseph has never really had a legitimate quarterback in Denver. He had Paxton Lynch and Trevor Simeon and ooh, yeah, none of those guys. They're not very good. And Case Keenum is not very good. So I would wait to judge Vance Joseph until you give him a real legitimate quarterback in the 2018 NFL draft. If he can't win with Justin Herbert, fine. Move on. Get rid of him. But I don't think it's fair to judge Vance Joseph on seasons with Case Keenum and Trevor Simeon at quarterback. Now, back to the Thursday night game. Uh, I think Josh Rosen, the Cardinals quarterback, is in trouble. He's a rookie quarterback. And the Cardinals have a couple offensive linemen injured. And we know that the Broncos have... Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, a defensive end, coming from the edges. And, uh, you know, rest in peace, Josh Rosen. I'm sorry, buddy, but you're going down. It's going to be a rough game for him. I think it's very likely that the Broncos walk away with a huge victory. And, and they have to. You can't afford to lose a game to Josh Rosen and the Cardinals with a rookie quarterback. You can't lose two games to rookie quarterbacks in three weeks. It's not, not possible. If they do that, if the Broncos start 2-5, and five, uh, I would be very worried for Vance Joseph's job, and I'd be worried about Case Keenum getting benched, quite frankly. I need water. Um, I want to now do, this is a segment I did last week. It was on Monday last week. I'm going to do it on Wednesday this week. Um, this is Surprise of the Weekend. And there are a bunch of candidates. There were seven upsets in college football. A lot of things we could talk about as the surprise of the weekend. Remember, you know, number 21 Auburn lost to unranked Tennessee. Number two Georgia lost to number 13 LSU by 20 points. They got blown out. West Virginia, the sixth team in the country, lost to an unranked Iowa State. In the NFL, we saw the Chargers crush the Denver, sorry, excuse me, the Cleveland Browns. And I know that sounds... Normally you say the Browns got crushed and you go, yeah, no surprise. But I actually was surprised. I thought that the Broncos and Chargers game was going to be competitive. So there's a bunch of good options for the surprise of the weekend. For me, if you ask me, the surprise of the weekend was the Jacksonville Jaguars getting annihilated by the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys smashed the Jaguars 40-7. to And I have some thoughts. The first one is this. That loss is not entirely on Blake Bortles. I mean, the Jaguars' defense gave up 40 points. And the Jaguars only ran for 65 yards. Those are very big, important stats. Because Blake Bortles can win games if his team plays really good defense and can run the ball. If you give Blake Bortles those two things, he can actually win games in the NFL. I don't like him. Not a fan of Blake Bortles, but he's not useless. He can win games. You've given good defense and a good running game. And I, I can imagine that Blake Bortles and all his supporters must feel like, well, ugh, this is not the deal we signed. This is not the deal we made. The deal was you give us good defense. I'll give you marginal quarterback play. And the Jaguars are going to run the ball for a bunch of yards. We'll win games. I mean, that's the expectation for the Jaguars. Blake Bortles is a marginal quarterback, not a great player. 
but the defense is going to hold the team to you know less than three scores. The Jaguars are going to run the ball really well, and you're going to overcome Blake Bortles' bad play. Well, uh, you got exactly what you expected from Blake Bortles. He played a typical game. 15 for 16, 149 yards, one touchdown, one interception. That's who he is. He played like the person we believed he was against the Dallas Cowboys. The problem was against the Dallas Cowboys, the defense was bad and they couldn't run the ball. I mean, the defense looked half asleep. They missed a bunch of assignments, played bad coverage, had poor effort. I do wonder, here's one thing you can maybe question. I wonder if the Jaguars defense just lost all confidence in Blake Bortles. Like you give up a lead early and you're like, well, we don't have the offense to come back from down 21 nothing. It's over. Let's just keel over and die. You get a bad start, can't overcome it. Maybe that's the truth. I mean, it's hard to fight when you know you have no chance of winning. And maybe the situation just snowballed. Next thing you know, it's 40-7 to Dallas Cowboys. I don't know. Um, but I know that that game is not entirely on Blake Bortles. Again, the defense was horrible. They couldn't run the ball. And Blake Bortles did exactly what you expect from Blake Bortles. He played a mediocre game. You can't really fault Blake Bortles for the loss, in my opinion, against the Dallas Cowboys. Now, some people have proposed a solution to the Jaguars' issues at quarterback. People say the Jaguars should trade for the Giants quarterback, Eli Manning. And on the surface, it makes sense. From the outside looking in, you go, oh, that's a good trade. You know, Eli's old coach, Tom Coughlin, the guy he won Super Bowls with, is the man running things in Jacksonville. Ooh, that, that makes sense. And, you know, the Jaguars, they're struggling at quarterback. Blake Bortles isn't cutting it. Well, maybe if we bring in Eli Manning, that will solve all of our problems. And, you know, the Jaguars have a better roster than the Giants. Maybe that's all Eli needs. Maybe all Eli Manning needs is a couple better players around him. Like, problem solved. No. Sadly, no. I would argue that Eli Manning would be worse for the Jacksonville Jaguars than Blake Bortles. And there are two key reasons for this. One of them is... Um, I, I think that Blake Bortles obviously has a better arm. Arm strength, this is less important, but arm strength does matter. And Eli Manning and Blake Bortles are both equally inaccurate. They miss a bunch of throws. But at least Blake Bortles has a stronger arm than Eli Manning. I would take Blake Bortles over Eli Manning. But the number two thing is, is far more important. For all of Blake Bortles' flaws, this is why Blake Bortles is a better quarterback for the Jaguars than Eli Manning. Eli Manning is not a good fit in Jacksonville. Because Eli Manning has no mobility at all. Like, none! He cannot run the ball at all. The minute there's a little bit of pressure, Eli Manning's a goner. It's over. He's a statue in the pocket. He doesn't slide and move around very well. He doesn't move around in the pocket. He fumbles often. Eli Manning is a, he's a walking disaster. He's a, he's a standing disaster in the pocket. It's, it's not good. The way you beat Eli Manning is you get a little bit of pressure on him. If you can force Eli Manning to get uncomfortable, he's not good enough anymore to beat that. If you watch the, if you watch the Jaguars, watch the way Blake Bortles plays quarterback. About five, six times a game, he has a guy come free, a guy about to sack him, and he avoids it and runs away. I mean, Blake Bortles has had pressure. You might hate the guy. I don't like Blake Bortles. But he's had pressure on him all day, and credit to him, he does a good job escaping pressure. He can run downfield. He can slide around in the pocket. He can avoid a pass rush. 
I don't know. If you replace Eli Manning with Blake Bortles, all the plays where Blake Bortles escapes a sack instantly become sacks. I mean, Blake Bortles has run for 188 yards this year, about 31 yards a game. That means that roughly Blake Bortles averages about five, six plays where he escapes a, a blitz or escapes pressure, runs downfield, gets a little bit of positive yardage. If the Jaguars added Eli Manning, all they would do is be adding about five or six sacks a game because Eli Manning is less mobile than Blake Bortles. It matters. It's not good. Look, I understand the other perspective. Some people believe that Eli Manning, he just needs a chance to get away from Odell Beckham Jr. and the toxic Giants locker room. I mean, the Giants are turning on Eli Manning. And maybe, you could argue, maybe in Jacksonville, Eli Manning would spark a revolution. He'd chan- he would change and inspire the team. And that's a solid emotional argument. But that inspiration that Eli Manning would bring would last for maybe two games. We'd be all pumped. People would be very excited. The Jaguars would play really well for a couple quarters. And then, back to normal. And ultimately, Eli Manning is worse for the Jaguars than Blake Bortles. He would take more sacks. He'd still miss a lot of passes, just like Blake Bortles does. But the Jaguars should not trade for Eli Manning. He would get sacked even more than Blake Bortles does. It would not be good. The Jaguars would not win games with Eli Manning. They cannot. Their offensive line is not good enough. You, the only way that Eli Manning can win games in the NFL, if he has the very best offensive line in the entire NFL, he never gets touched and he never has to move from the pocket. Basically, unless you give Eli Manning a super team, the guy can't win. He can make some good reads, um, but he, he can't handle a messy pocket anymore. Blake Bortles, at least for, for all the hate I've given him, I don't like Blake Bortles. I've given up on him. The one thing you can credit Blake Bortles with, he can run, he can escape pressure, he can get yards downfield, he can turn in a sack into a positive play. Eli Manning can't even do that. Eli Manning would be worse for the Jacksonville Jaguars than Blake Bortles currently is. Okay, before we take a short break, um, I want to remind you guys, the Dallas Cowboys are 3-3. Three and three. They just beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 40-7. to seven. It was a... I mean, I mean, Dak played the best game of his year. I mean, Dak played the best game all season. It was, fine. It was awesome. Dak Prescott was 17 for 27 at 183 yards passing. Two touchdowns, no interceptions, but here's the kicker. He ran for 82 yards and had a touchdown rushing. Oh, and, and by the way, the Dallas Cowboys running back, Ezekiel Elliott, ran for 106 yards. It all matters. The Cowboys dominated. And I would argue if Dak Prescott simply played a game like he did on Sunday, if he does that every single week, Cowboys would never struggle. I'm not asking for a lot. 183 yards passing is not a, a megaton. That's not a bunch of yards. I mean, he ran for 82 yards. That was a big deal. But I don't care how Dak Prescott moves the ball. All I care is that he moves the ball downfield. And I I really believe Dak Prescott should run more. Use that ability. If you played basketball with a guy who could dunk, I mean, he could just posterize people. And he shot threes a bunch and kept missing threes. He'd be like, dude, stop shooting threes. Go score inside. Same thing with Dak Prescott. He should use his legs more. He's got a talent. He's got an ability. He needs to use it. Dak Prescott needs to use his legs as a weapon. But the key here was he had no turnovers on Sunday. 
I mean, look look at the Cowboys' record so far. Look at their schedule so far. They're three and three. And in three games this year, Dak Prescott has had a passer rating of 95 or higher. Guess which three games he's had those really good passer ratings. Yep, it's the three that they won. In the three games the Dallas Cowboys won, shocker, Dak Prescott played really well. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Yeah, if Dak Prescott plays an efficient, good style of football, a safer, doesn't turn over the ball, has a couple good games, if he plays a solid game, the Cowboys win. It's not complicated. You need Dak Prescott to play well. How often have the Cowboys lost when Dak Prescott plays poorly? I don't know the answer, but I know this year, whenever he plays good enough like that, they win. We've seen it now. We can build a trend from this. I have built a scenario. Here's, here's a couple things you need. If you can get Dak Prescott to have one turnover or fewer, if, he, if the Cowboys as a team can run for 100 yards, if Dak can have over 175 yards passing and a pass rating of 90 or higher, the Cowboys will win. So these are the four things. I'm testing a new theory. If the Cowboys do these four things, they will win every single game. Dak Prescott needs to have one turnover or fewer. The Cowboys need to run for over 100 yards. Dak needs to have over 175 yards passing. And he needs to have a passer rating of 90 or higher. If those four things happen, the Cowboys will never lose. It's not complicated. And I'm not asking for Dak Prescott to throw for 400 yards a game. I need 175 yards a game. I need the Cowboys to run for 100 yards. And I need him to turn over the ball once or less with a passer rating of 90 or higher. It's not a lot. I know it sounds like a ton of asking. It's really not. If, if those four things happen, I, I really believe the Cowboys will win every single game. I'm going to test out the rest of the year. We will find out what happens. I don't know. But if these four things all happen and the Cowboys lose a game, I'll eat crow. I'll be wrong. But I'm not asking for rocket science. I'm not asking for Dak Prescott to play like Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. You just need Dak Prescott to deliver a good, solid, positive, efficient performance. If he cannot play like a bum and just play like a solid, average quarterback, the Cowboys can win games. It's not that complicated. With that, I am going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about Nick Bosa. He is leaving college early. Is that a bad decision, a good decision? What happened? What's your thoughts? I'll share my thoughts. We're going to do the Deadly Dozen, which are my... 12-team playoff predictions after week six. We're going to talk about Joe Burrow, the LSU quarterback. We're going to talk about the NBA, the Major League Baseball playoffs. We're going to talk about the 49ers. Should they fire their defensive coordinator? A little bit more than that, too, as well. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. My name is Zach Schalmer. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, big news today. Ohio State defensive end Nick Bosa is leaving school to focus on recovering and getting healthy from an injury and preparing for the NFL draft. Remember in September, he had an abdominal issue, an injury. And uh, I, I love that he's leaving college. Remember, he, he got surgery on September 20th. And I love that he's leaving college now to go get ready for the NFL. Why do I love this? Because this is a calculated decision. It's well thought out. It's good planning. I like when people make calculated decisions. 
This is not an emotional decision. It's not going, ah, I got to fight for my team. I got to get back. No, 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 no. He's doing the right thing for him. He's making a calm, calculated decision. I think it's smart. You know, there's this irritating narrative going around that this makes him look bad, that he doesn't like his team. He's not a team player. That's what people are turning this into. And people always do this. When a player skips a bowl game or leaves early, does anything that's not the best thing for the university. It drives me nuts. And first of all, look on Twitter. Nick Bosa's teammates all love him. They, they support his decision to leave college early. But people are acting like he dropped out of college, you know, two days right before the national championship. Guys, it's October. It's October 17th. And uh, again, Nick Bosa got hurt. On September 20th, he got surgery. This is not one of those situations. This isn't even comparable to a guy skipping a bowl game. This is a guy doing what's best for him. Stop telling me Nick Bose is not competitive. He's getting ready for the NFL. This is a calculated, good decision. I don't understand anyone who feels differently. Don't get it at all. I mean, two weeks ago, two weeks ago I got offered a job in L.A. And I turned it down. I felt like I made a calculated decision. Because I know that there's going to be other job offers. It wasn't offering very much money. I would have had to move away. I wouldn't have a college degree. It wasn't smart. I think it's important to stay and get a piece of paper. For me, a person who's not going to make $25 million in the NFL. I stayed. I thought I made a calculated decision. I did what was best for me. There's going to be other job opportunities like that. Nick Bosa is doing exactly what's best for him. I respect that. He's going to make probably around $25 million in his first paycheck in the NFL. Something like that. He's going to make a ridiculous amount of money in the NFL. He's going to be fine. Then, and there's also another. So there's one narrative I don't like, which is that Nick Bosa is a bad team player, doesn't care about Ohio State. It's not true. He loves football, loves the game. I think he even loves his team. But there's another narrative going around that maybe Nick Bosa leaving Ohio State is somehow bad for college football. This is all bad for college football. No, it, that's all silly and wrong and not true. If lots of players were going to leave, that, then that would be true. If a bunch of players, if like 70 players, 100 players every year were leaving college football early to go to the NFL, then you would have a problem. But that problem does not exist because a guy with Nick Bosa's ability, a guy who really has the ability to leave college early because he's that good at football, doesn't need to play the rest of the year, he's ready to go now, that player in the NFL is incredibly, sorry, in college football is incredibly rare. There's maybe two, three guys a year who are talented enough to leave college football early and, and, and go to the NFL or go get ready for the NFL draft down the road. I don't know. I don't get it. I mean, Joey Bosa is not the norm. How few and far between are first round draft picks? There's 32 every year. And some of those guys, like Brashad Perriman, did not deserve to be a first-round pick. Corey Coleman was a bust. I mean, I don't know. Not a lot of guys are Nick Bosa. He's a rarity. He's not the norm. It's not a bad thing for college football that Nick Bosa left Ohio State early. He's not the typical college football player. He's different, a little bit special. I don't know. I just don't understand why what Nick Bosa did is somehow controversial. I, I just, I don't, anybody who opposes what Nick Bosa did... Please tell me, why do you feel that way? Is it because you're an Ohio State fan and you just want to see your team have every opportunity they can to win? Because that's the only, the only narrative that makes sense to me. 
Why would a Oregon State fan, why would a, a USC fan care that Nick Bose is leaving Ohio State early to do what's best for him? I don't get it. I don't understand. I mean, I, I completely 100% support Nick Bosa leaving college early to go prepare for the NFL, to go get healthy. He's going to make millions of dollars. He should not waste any more time in college. When He's not making any money in college. He's playing for free, getting beat up. No, there's no reason for that. I mean, the only question I have after Nick Bosa left Ohio State is where is he going to do his pro day? Is he still going to get to do his pro day at Ohio State or is he going to have to go do some random some like random high school track somewhere? Like, I don't know. That's the only concern I have with Nick Bosa. This is not a problem. There's no controversy here. He's injured. He's not, it's not worth his time to play the rest of the year. He's going to go get healthy, do what's best for him, and get ready to go make millions and millions and millions of dollars in the NFL. Nick Bosa's decision to leave Ohio State early, I don't think is even controversial. The fact that people are getting mad, angry, accusing him of not loving football, it's all just ridiculous. And I think it's people trying to trump up a narrative that simply doesn't exist. So there we go. I mean, I really, if anyone doesn't like that, please tell me legitimately, I'm asking you, tell me in the comments, why don't you like Nick Bosa leaving Ohio State? What is, what is so bad about that? I I don't see anything wrong with it whatsoever. It's not a bad thing. Let's now shift to the deadly dozen. This is the deadly dozen. There are 12 playoff teams. And what I do every week is I predict the NFL playoff picture. This is what I believe the NFL playoff picture looks like after six weeks of NFL football. I want to start in the AFC. I predict the Chiefs to win the AFC West. Um, it's very simple. Like Patrick Mahomes, stars everywhere. The Chiefs are the best team in the AFC. No problem. Now, I'm also picking the Patriots to win their division, the AFC East. It's simple. Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, Josh Gordon settling at wide receiver, and the Patriots defense is getting better. Those are the two easy ones. I'm picking the Pittsburgh Steelers to win the AFC North. This one was a lot more difficult to make. My only thing was, you know, in the AFC North, who is consistently the most consistent team in that division? It's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Who do you trust down the stretch? Do you trust Joel Flacco, Big Ben, Baker Mayfield, or Andy Dalton? I trust Big Ben. He's delivered in December and November in the past. I believe in Big Ben. I think he's the reason, and I I really, I mean, look, the the Steelers are about to get Le'Veon Bell back. Enough said right there. The Steelers are going to dominate their division. They took, had a slow start, had some ugliness, had some locker room turmoil. It's all going to go away. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to make the playoffs, and everything's going to settle back down to normal. I'm picking the Texans to win the AFC South. Right now in the AFC South, the Texans... The Titans and the Jaguars are all three and three. And if you had to pick between those three teams, Texans, Jaguars, Titans, I would pick the Titans because of their quarterback. I would choose Deshaun Watson over Blake Bortles and Marcus Mariota. He's the best quarterback of those three. And the Colts are one and five. The Colts are a mess. They look really young. They had some mistakes. I don't trust Frank Reich. I don't know that he's a great decision maker. Um, And uh, Andrew Luck does not look like 100%. I think this is a... A year of growth for the Colts. The Colts are not going to make the playoffs this year. They're one in five right now. It's looking ugly. A couple close wins, a couple close losses, excuse me. Um, but Colts are not going to make the playoffs. In the wild card in the AFC, I have the Chargers and the Ravens. 
For me, it came down to the Chargers, the Ravens, the Dolphins, or the Jaguars. And uh, if you look at the Chargers roster, plus Phillip Rivers, I was very confident going, yep, the Chargers are going to make the playoffs. And then with the Ravens, for me, it was, well, is it Joe Flacco, Blake Bortles, or whoever the Dolphins quarterback is? Right now, the Dolphins are playing Brock Osweiler quarterback. It was very simple. I went with Joe Flacco. I went with the Ravens. So again, in the AFC, my six playoff teams are the Chiefs, the Patriots, the Steelers, the Texans, the Chargers, and the Ravens. Not too complicated. In fact, it feels like six weeks into the NFL, things are finally settling back down to normal. Now in the NFC, first I have the Rams winning the NFC West. They're the best team in football. We don't need to get into it too much. The Rams are going to make the playoffs. They're going to win their division. In the NFC South, I had the New Orleans Saints. Look, the Saints are, they have Drew Brees, the Falcons are out, their defense is improving, and they have a favorable schedule. The Saints have a great schedule down the road. A lot of their games are indoors. The Saints are going to win the NFC South. But here are the two, here's where it got really interesting for me. I made some tough decisions. I'm picking the Vikings to win the NFC North. I think they're a more complete team than the Packers. Uh, The Bears just lost to Brock Osweiler. So... (laughs) I mean, what else can be said there? Do you really believe in Mitch Trubisky? I don't. And I think the Vikings are a better team than the Packers. The Vikings are going to win their division. In the NFC East, I have the Eagles winning that division. Right now, the Redskins are atop. They're 3-2. and two. The Eagles are 3-3. Three and three. Uh, The Redskins had an early bye week. That's the only reason why they're 3-2. and, two and the, You know, they have two losses. Well, the Eagles have three losses. It's all going to even out. Carson Wentz is getting better. He's coming off of an injury. I think the Eagles are the best team in the NFC East, quite frankly. And, uh, you know, they had this sluggish start. You can blame that on the Super Bowl hangover. But ultimately, we're going to learn the Eagles are a fantastic, fantastic football team. In the wild card, I have the Panthers. The Panthers are going to make the wild card in the NFC. They're going to make the playoffs. They're quietly playing a fantastic season. Nobody's paying attention. They're playing great football. The key here is Cam Newton. Cam Newton is having his... Best completion percentage he's ever had in the NFL. He's at 66% completion percentage right now. That's incredibly underreported. How well Cam Newton is playing at this point of the year. He's playing efficient. He's playing smart. I really like what Cam Newton's doing in Carolina. I think the Panthers are a playoff team. And finally, I have the Packers picking up the final wild card spot. Uh, You know, it came down to the Bears or the Packers. Sorry, I chose Aaron Rodgers over Mitch Trubisky. My bad. Yeah, look, I'm betting on Aaron Rodgers. He's going to find a way to get his team into the playoffs. That's what he does. He works magic. He wins games. He's Aaron Rodgers. I'm putting my money on Aaron Rodgers. He's going to make the playoffs. So my 12 NFL teams, the deadly dozen. In the AFC, I have the Chiefs, the Patriots, the Steelers, the Texans, the Chargers, and the Ravens. And in the NFC, I have the Rams, the Saints, the Vikings, the Eagles, and with the wild card, the Panthers and the Packers. That has been the Deadly Dozen. Those are my NFL playoff predictions after six weeks. I want to now shift your attention to college football. We have two college football stories in a row I want to talk about. Uh, I really want to talk about LSU's quarterback. Because I really like LSU's quarterback, Joe Burrow. I'm a fan of his. I think he's, um, you know, he's a graduate transfer from Ohio State. He couldn't beat out Dwayne Haskins, but nonetheless, he's a good quarterback. I think Joe Burrow was perfect for LSU. He's exactly what they need. And honestly, I would say that 
He's the best LSU quarterback we've seen in years. LSU needed him. He brought stability. And I really do like him. He makes great decisions. He's not perfect. Nobody is. But he's really good at reading defenses. He makes great checks at the line of scrimmage. You know, pre-snap, he'll change the play to the right thing. Says all the right things. Makes good decisions. I'll credit him. He looks poised in big moments. No spot ever looks too big for him. I mean, he had a pick six against Florida. I don't hold that against Joe Burrow. Look, I like Joe Burrow. I think he's a really good, solid college quarterback. If I'm a coach, Joe Burrow's exactly what I want. He's composed. He's smart. But, and you knew but was coming. You, you, you can feel it building up. Joe Burrow's not really an NFL quarterback. Pains me to say that, but that's my analysis. Joe Burrow's not an NFL quarterback. Here's why. It's arm strength. And Joe Burrow reminds me a lot of former Boise State quarterback Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore was a prolific college quarterback. Put up huge numbers, had great footwork. He did everything right. He did everything right. And despite that, despite being a fantastic college quarterback, a guy with good anticipation, good footwork, everything, Kellen Moore was not an NFL quarterback. Why? Arm strength. I mean, in the lot, look, he played, he played three years in the NFL. He played for the Lions in 2012. 2013, I believe he was on the practice squad, but you can't find him recorded on any roster anywhere. 2014, Kellen Moore played for the Lions again. And in 2015, he played his final year in the NFL, his third season, fourth if you count that year on the practice squad for the Dallas Cowboys. Now Kellen Moore is a coach. Played a couple short years, never played a snap. Now he's a Dallas Cowboys quarterback coach. Joe Burrow is going to be a great coach someday. But he had the same flaw. He has the same flaw Kellen Moore had. Joe Burrow simply does not have enough arm strength. There's a minimum threshold you need in order to play at a high level to be successful in the NFL. You need a minimum amount of arm strength. Kellen Moore didn't have that. Neither does Joe Burrow. I wanted to find arm strength for you because this is where people are going to respond. You're telling me Joe Burrow doesn't have a good enough arm strength? These are people typing angrily. Um, arm strength is not how far you can throw the football. It's not, you know, I can throw the ball 80 yards. That's not exactly arm strength. That's great. If you can throw the ball 80 yards, well done. You probably have good arm strength. But arm strength to me is can you drive the ball downfield into tight windows on a line? Do you have a lot of velocity? Can you drive the ball downfield through rain, through sleet, into tight windows downfield? If you can do that, then you have a lot of arm strength. You know who taught me that? Trent Dilfer taught me that. Trent Dilfer taught me about arm strength. I was at an Elite 11, uh, can't even talk. I was at an Elite 11 tryout. It's a camp in Oregon. Uh, all the top quarterbacks in the nation get chosen to Elite 11. And I'll be honest, I really had no place being there. I was not highly recruited. I was a small quarterback competing against Ricky Town, Ross Bowers, Brett Rippon, guys who went to USC and Boise State and Cal. And I dominated. I had the best day out there. I killed it. I had great footwork, played better than Ricky Town. That guy. Uh, but I was tough. I had good leadership. I, I really, legitimately, like, I, I killed it. I owned the field on that day. Best quarterback out there. And afterward, Trent Dilfer was really kind to me. Came over to me and he said, um, I wasn't going to make it to Elite 11. It was painful. It really hurt me. And uh, he chose Ricky Town and Ross Bowers 
and he described it. He explained it to me. What he said was, um, you know, look, first of all, he's really encouraging. Trent Dilfer told me, you can play in college. You have enough arm strength. But I threw a deep comeback earlier in the day, and uh, I was late, and I didn't get the ball in there with enough arm strength. It was 18 yards downfield on the sideline, a deep, long throw you got to put on a line. I did not have enough arm strength to make that throw. At least not well enough. And Trent Dilfer told me the Elite 11 was looking for NFL quarterbacks, guy who could throw the ball at an elite arm strength level. Guys like Sam Darnold. And I wasn't one of those guys. Joe Burrow is like me. And Joe Burrow is like Kellen Moore. Guys that have good enough arm strength to play in college, but can't drive the field ball downfield well enough to play against NFL defenders. Throw the ball in really tight windows against guys who are bigger, faster, and stronger. Not being mean. I'm not picking on Joe Burrow. It's not my intention. Look, Joe Burrow makes better decisions than Danny Etling, the former LSU quarterback. And he's a better leader. He's more accurate than Zach Mettenberg. Brett Mettenberger, one of those two. But Zach Mettenberger, Mettenberger, Danny Etling, those guys both had better arm strength than Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's arm strength limits him. It's, it's sad. It's the reality. He's going to be a great coach. He might play as a backup for a couple of years in the NFL, but ultimately Joe Burrow's arm strength is going to limit him. That's why I would pick Alabama to beat LSU later this year. LSU is going to challenge Alabama, but Joe Burrow does not have a good enough arm to beat Alabama. And ironically, Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback at Ohio State, the quarterback that Joe Burrow could not beat out, he does have enough arm strength. He's good enough to beat Alabama. So Joe Burrow checks all the boxes. He does everything right. Great footwork, makes good decisions. He's a good leader. Joe Burrow is a perfect, he's exactly what you want from a college quarterback. But he doesn't have good enough arm strength to play in the NFL. You know, he reminds me of Danny Werfel. Danny Werfel, a Florida quarterback from long, long time ago, won the Heisman. No, I'm sure nobody listening to this podcast knows who I'm talking about. I read Tim Tebow's book and looked him up. Um, Legendary quarterback at the University of Florida. Didn't have enough arm strength. Never played well at an NFL level. And uh, Joe Burrow is the same thing. Joe Burrow does everything right, but he doesn't have the minimum amount of arm strength required to succeed in the NFL. Joe Burrow's arm strength will limit him. That is why I do not believe he's an NFL quarterback. Okay, before we take a break, um, I want to explain to you guys something. I do this all the time. What I do on this show is I, uh, you know, I pick a topic and I form my opinion on that topic. I build an argument to support my opinion. And that's what I do. I pick, I build an argument. I'm not always right, but I can always make a good, reasonable argument for why I believe what I believe. We're going to do that right now. I'm going to tell you why I believe that Oregon is going to beat Washington State on Saturday in Pullman, Washington. So this weekend, number 12, Oregon, travels to Pullman, Washington to play number 25, Washington State. I go to Washington State. I'm a student there. I'll be at the game. In fact, I will be... uh, This game is such a big deal that ESPN's College Game Day is coming to our tiny town, and I'll be there on set working for ESPN. And despite being a Washington State student, despite being a person who desperately would love to see Washington State win the game... 
I'm picking Oregon to win the game on Saturday. I want to be very clear. For the record, I hope WSU wins. I love WSU football, and I really love WSU's quarterback, Gardner Minshew. But here's why I'm picking Oregon. This game is a huge, huge deal to Washington State. This is the first time ever in the 15-year history of ESPN College Game Day that they are coming to Pullman, Washington. The whole town's excited. Players are excited. It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday in this town. And the streets are already packed. You can't walk anywhere. You hear it constantly. It's, the game isn't until Saturday. It's Wednesday. And there's already a bunch of hype in this town. Washington State is all psyched up. They are emotionally unstable. That's why I'm picking Oregon. Oregon has been in two big-time national games so far this year. They lost to Stanford at home, and they beat Washington. Big win and a big loss. Emotionally high, emotionally low. The Ducks have been tested. They are emotionally stable. In comparison, Washington State, I think it's possible. I think it's possible. This moment could be too big for Washington State's football team. I believe Washington State's going to be all ramped up, and they're going to psych themselves out and make the mistakes early in the game. I predict some early drops, some missed assignments, a couple missed blocks. WSU's going to struggle and get in the hole. I mean, for them, this is their Super Bowl. I want you to understand, I grew up in Portland, Oregon. I played high school football in Oregon. I played high school football in Washington. I have friends on both sides of this game. And while on one side, Washington State is all ramped up, really, really excited for this game, Oregon is business as usual. This is just another game for Oregon. So I predict that Oregon's going to get out to an early lead. They're going to be up, you know, 14, maybe 17 to nothing before Washington State finally locks in and scores some points, gets on the board. And from there, it'll be a shootout, but the early mistakes for WSU are going to limit them, and they're going to start from behind and never be able to catch up. And this is because, look, all this is going to happen because Washington State's football team cares. They want to win this game. They're excited for the moment. I love it. I understand it. But I don't think they're emotionally ready for the big moment of ESPN College Game Day, huge nationally televised game. Um, And look, I'm rooting for WSU, but they have not been in a moment like this. And so while Oregon's played in two big games, WSU has not been tested this year. I'm picking Oregon because I think they're more ready for this big moment. I'm picking Oregon to win on Saturday over Washington State. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we are going to talk about the Dallas Cowboys. We're going to talk about the Green Bay Packers. Should the 49ers fire their defensive coordinator, Robert Sala? And we'll end with the NBA and some Major League Baseball playoff talk. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube, as well as my best, most interesting clips. If you like Strong Opinion Sports as much as I do, help me grow by telling your friends about this show. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, Final segment of the day. This has been a really long show. I guess that's what happens when you take a day off. You just have a bunch of material, stuff you want to talk about. Um, I want to start with the Dallas Cowboys. On September 1st, the Dallas Cowboys cut their kicker, Dan Bailey. Uh, Dan Bailey was there for seven years, and he'd been incredibly efficient. His career kicking percentage, he's got an 88% field goal percentage. 
Pretty incredible. I mean, the best kicker ever in the NFL is Justin Tucker with 90%. That shows you. Dan Bailey's really close to the top. He's an incredible kicker. Uh, but Dan Bailey was really expensive, and his stats were declining. In 2015, he had a 93% field goal percentage. In 2016, it was down to 84%. And in 2017, there was a bigger drop-off to 75%. From 93 to 75% field goal percentage from 2015 to 2017. And so the Dallas Cowboys, they cut him. They replaced him with a cheaper guy named Brett Maher. He's a rookie, and uh, it's been absolutely the right decision. And the Cowboys cut their longtime kicker, replaced him with a rookie, a 28-year-old rookie, a guy from the Canadian Football League. It's a risky move. Uh, well, <laughs> to this point, Brett Maher has been 15 for, six, 15 for 16 kicking field goals, sitting 93.75% of his kicks. He has not missed an extra point all year, and uh, it's pretty clear the kicking move was a great decision by the Dallas Cowboys. So I wanted to credit them. You know, Dan Bailey would have cost them a lot more money, around $4 million. They got Brett Maher for less than $500,000 a year, and he's a better kicker. They got a bargain. They got a better kicker. So it's just it's a cool story, man. For Brett Maher, you know, he spent four years in the CFL, 28 years old as a rookie in the NFL. It's, it's a hard journey. So I'm happy for that guy. And it's also worth noting the Dallas Cowboys made absolutely the right decision. It's an unknown story. I don't know that a lot of people are talking about it, at least not nationally, but it's a, a story I've been fascinated by. When the Dallas Cowboys cut Dan Bailey, I was like, huh, is that the right move? Undoubtedly, it's been the right move and a great, smart decision for the Dallas Cowboys. Committing to their new kicker, he's much better and he's cheaper. I applaud the Cowboys. What a great move. I want to stay with kickers for a minute. Um, and I want to talk about this idea of when things in life don't go your way, how do you respond? How do you respond to bad things happening or things that you don't like or things that don't go your way? How do you deal with that? Today, I got an email that a parking ticket I've been fighting for a long time finally got waived. I don't have to pay the 150 bucks. Uh, about a month ago, I got a parking ticket I believed was really unfair. I fought it. I went to the office to fight it, and no one helped me. They said, you're wrong. You, you can't get a wave. And I said, well, no, I, I don't agree with that. And so I went back, and I went back, and seven times I went back to the stupid parking office on my college campus. I talked to seven different people. They kept shuffling me around, and finally, I got someone to say, you're right. I agree with you. You got screwed over, and I got my ticket waived. I don't have to pay the $150 parking ticket. Now, it's not a perfect analogy, but the point is this. When the going gets tough, you got to keep going. When things don't go your way, you got to keep fighting. You got to keep moving on. You know, you get into a car accident. Your girlfriend breaks up with you. Your brother dies. A lot of bad stuff happens in life, and you just got to keep motoring on. Got to have a positive attitude and just keep going. So I ask you again, how do you respond to tough moments in your life? So I want to commend the Green Bay Packers kicker, Mason Crosby, for the way he handled a bad moment in his life. Two weeks ago, Mason Crosby had an awful day. Awful, awful day. They were playing, the Packers were playing, the Detroit Lions. Mason Crosby for, was one for five kicking field goals. He also missed an extra point. What that means is that Mason Crosby left 13 points on the table. The Packer, he cost his team 13 points by missing kicks. And the Packers ironically lost 31 to 23. They lost by eight points. If Mason Crosby just mix, 
if he makes just four of those five field goals, they walk away with the win. The Packers win the game. And here's why I want to commend Mason Crosby. Because on Monday Night Football this week against the San Francisco 49ers, Packers won 33-30, and Mason Crosby was 4-for-4 kicking field goals, 3-for-3 kicking extra points. He accounted for 15 points in a game the Packers won by 3. By the way, as time expired, Mason Crosby kicked the game-winning field goal. How cool is that? That is how you bounce back from a tough day. That's how you deal with adversity. I also want to say I respect the Green Bay Packers. They did not waver. They, they stuck with their guy. said, we believe in Mason Crosby. They stuck with their kicker, and he won them the game. It paid off. So there's a story to be learned about, A, if you believe in someone, don't waver on them. Believe in them. Keep encouraging them. And if you believe in yourself, like Mason Crosby has every right to believe in himself, keep going. Keep fighting. Don't give up. And so I, I just found that story with Mason Crosby incredibly inspiring. I got really into kickers this week. It's, it's you know, what, I don't know. Um, but, man. Uh, Mason Crosby, what a cool story. It's awesome. And uh, he really bounced back from a bad week. So again, I want to repeat something. On Monday Night Football, the 49ers lost to the Green Bay Packers 30-33. to And I'm sure this was an excruciating game for 49er fans to watch. Because the 49ers had the lead late in the game, and they blew it. Lost in the final seconds of the game. The final drive was the worst. The final drive was the most inexcusable, frustrating thing to watch if you're a guy rooting for the 49ers. Now, on the final drive, the, four, the Green Bay Packers hit three plays in a row on the sideline. They caught the ball on the sideline. They were allowed to get out of bounds, stop the clock, and ultimately it led to the game-winning field goal for the Green Bay Packers. The Packers hit big throws down the sideline and were allowed to step out of bounds. That is terrible defense, and I blame the coaching. I blame Robert Sala. You simply can't allow that. Two weeks ago, I discussed the idea. I had a lot of people writing in, you know, should the 49ers fire their defensive coordinator, Robert Sala? The narrative had two stories to it. People would ask, you know, should the 49ers fire their defensive coordinator? And should the 49ers switch from a 4-3 back to a 3-4 defense? Instead of having... Four down linemen, should we go back to the way things were two years ago before uh, that Kyle Shanahan was brought in and have three down linemen instead of two? Should we change the entire defensive scheme? Here's what I said. I said, well, um, I would not make a change at defensive coordinator and I would not make a change to defensive scheme. Here's why I said you shouldn't change the defensive scheme. A 4-3 and a 3-4 defense require completely different players, different defensive linemen, different linebackers, different body types, A complete change in philosophy. You're a year and a half into the 4-3. If you were a guy, you know, what you wouldn't do, if you wouldn't swim halfway across a lake and then just turn around immediately and go back. It's a waste of time. Why would you even begin the journey if you were going to give up halfway? That's where the 49ers are at right now. If they were going to give up a year and a half into switching from a 3-4 to a 4-3, they would have never, ever committed to that decision. Why even bother if you were just going to give up on it before it ever really got started. Because it takes a while. you got to draft different people, build different players, develop different guys. A complete change in philosophy. So I said, look, don't, do not change the defensive scheme from a 4-3 to a 3-4. Now, should the 49ers fire their defensive coordinator, Robert Sala, that, that's a different narrative entirely. 
Look, I understand. The 49ers lost to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers may be the most talented quarterback in the entire NFL right now, maybe ever. Plus, the 49ers started a backup quarterback. That's not a loss you should feel too bad about. Eh, like I'm, not, I'm not losing sleep over losing to Aaron Rodgers. But some really bad defensive plays at the end significantly cost the 49ers. I mean, Reuben Foster got caught multiple times in matchups with wide receivers, mismatches that hurt the 49ers. The Packers got big plays downfield because of it. That's on the coaching and that's on the scheme. Or there was a penalty on third down that extended the drive late in the game. On the final drive, no timeouts left. The Packers got the ball on their own 10-yard line. No timeouts. Drove all the way down the field, kicked the game-winning field goal. Bang, bang, bang. Field goal, game over. And again, I repeat, there were long throws allowed down the sideline by the 49ers defense. Where they allowed the 40, they allowed the Packers not only to catch the ball, but then to get out of bounds. You cannot allow that. That's on coaching. That's on preparation. I don't know if I blame Richard Sherman or what to do, but you can't do that. You got to know if you're a player for the 49ers with less than a minute left, tackle the Packers in bounds. Do not allow any catches down along the sideline. It's like the number one rule in a two-minute rule drill. You don't allow catches on the sideline. Three plays in a row. The 49ers allow to catch along the sideline. That's unacceptable. That's bad coaching. So I, I would keep your eye on Robert Sala. Because I am now, for the first time, finally paying attention to that narrative. Should the 49ers fire Robert Sala? I don't know. But I'm highly skeptical. What I saw on Monday night was not acceptable. It was bad. Not a, you, you just can't do that. You can't allow three plays in a row where a guy catches the ball on the sideline and he gets out of bounds. The Packers drove all the way down the field with no timeouts left. It's unacceptable. Can't be allowed. And I, I'm highly skeptical now of Robert Sala. Okay, we got two topics left. Um, a lot of people have been DMing me on Instagram saying, I, I want you to talk about the NBA a little bit. So here's what we'll do. Um, this is a, a rough draft, we'll say. It's my first segment about the NBA of the year. Um, and I'm just going to talk about some teams and some narratives I'm excited to watch. There are really there are six NBA teams I'm really excited to watch. And uh, I might have said NFL, I meant NBA. But the point is this, I, I want your feedback. I'm going to say what I think, I want to hear what you think. Um, I'm not very excited to watch the Golden State Warriors. Like, the Warriors, I, I guess they're going to be fun to watch, I don't know. Um, I, I think they're quite boring. The Warriors are going to dominate this year. They're probably going to win the championship again. I'm not really excited to watch anything related to the Warriors until maybe Kevin Durant leaves. Like, that's the first narrative of the year. I'm going to be like, ooh, like... I'm not, I don't care about the Warriors at all. I'm excited to watch the Warriors free agency next year. So the Warriors, ah, I'm bored. I don't care. And maybe, maybe Kevin Durant's going to go to the Lakers. That, that would excite me a lot. But let's talk about the Lakers for a minute. I don't know that, you know, LeBron James went to the Lakers. It's a big deal. It's really exciting. And I just, like, eh, he's going to be great. He's going to be exciting. I, I'm sure I'll watch. I'll probably get more excited as we get closer, but... Am I like super pumped and oh my goodness, I'm so excited to watch LeBron. Like, I wish I could say I was, but I know what he's going to be. He's going to be dominant. He's going to be unbelievable. I don't know. The most interesting narrative for the Lakers, quite honestly, is the point guard position. Rajon Rondo versus Lonzo Ball. Who's going to be the Lakers point guard? I don't know. That, that intrigues me more than anything. Oh, and will Brandon Ingram, is he going to finally develop into the player 
we've kind of all been waiting for. It's weird. You look at pictures of the Lakers and their, their roster, Brandon Ingram's arms look like, I mean, his legs look as big as my arms. The dude is a toothpick. He's tiny. I don't know. I don't know that Brandon Ingram has the physical, duh, like he's not a, like the, the dog. I don't know. What, I don't know. What, what do you say about that? I don't know. But he doesn't have this mean streak that I wish Brandon Ingram had. He's kind of a nice, softer player. Um, I don't know. We'll see. If Brandon Ingram develops, I hope so. But I'm not real confident. That's what I want to watch the Lakers. I'm excited to watch Kawhi Leonard with the Raptors. It's weird. I've never really been excited to watch Kawhi Leonard before. Mostly because I don't know what's going to happen. Is he going to leave in free agency because he can opt out in 2019? Would he stay for more money with the Raptors? I don't know. Honestly, don't know. Do they win? A, do the Raptors win a lot? They won with DeMar DeRozan. I think they upgraded from DeMar DeRozan to Kawhi Leonard. But they got rid of their coach. So I don't know what to make of the Raptors. I'm interested to watch the Raptors. And I'm just, I'm tentatively curious is probably the best way to put it. Now the Celtics, the Celtics, I am I'm so, I, that, I, I might be most excited to watch the Boston Celtics this year. Because it's the Celtics. I love Brad Stevens. I like Kyrie Irving. Um, I, I think there's a lot of good, interesting pieces in Boston. I'm excited to watch. Um, and, and I'm really, I'm predicting, of course, it's not very complicated. Predicting the Celtics and the Warriors to play each other in the NBA Finals. Uh, it'd be no surprise. It would be very cool if the Celtics upset the Warriors. I don't think that's going to happen, but here's the problem. If the Warriors somehow lost to the Celtics in the finals, I think it would make Kevin Durant want to stay in the Bay Area. And I, I don't want I don't want any more of Kevin Durant with the Warriors. I'd like him to leave and go to the Lakers or anywhere else, literally. Um, so I really actually hope that I'm torn because I would love to see the Celtics totally upset the Warriors. I think we're never going to get there. I don't think it's going to be a problem. The Warriors are probably going to win the series, but in an alternate universe where the Warriors lost to the Celtics in the NBA Finals, would Kevin Durant stay? I don't know. But again, that's we keep going back to the Warriors. The only interesting thing about the Warriors is, is Kevin Durant going to leave? Like The only interesting thing about the Warriors is free agency a year from now. Nobody cares about the regular season with the Warriors because they're so good. They're going to dominate. We all think they're going to go to the finals. It's not very fun to watch that. I don't know. The 76ers. First of all, they have a point guard who can't shoot Ben Simmons. Um, I'm interested to see, does he develop a jump shot? Does he get better? I'm not confident that he will. I hope so. I'm also interested to watch Markel Fultz. Markel Fultz is a former number one overall pick last year in the NBA draft. And uh, is he a bust? Like, I don't know. We'll find out. That's the two most interesting storylines with the 76ers are can Ben Simmons shoot? Can Markel Fultz shoot? Like, I don't know. Ugh. They have three guys. None of them can. If Joel, if Joel Embiid is the best shooter for the 76ers of their three best players, oh my goodness. That would be, that'd be a nightmare. Horrible. I, I hope Ben Simmons develops a jump shot. And I hope Markel Fultz does not have the yips and can develop a better jump shot. But we don't know. We'll find out. There's a really, really interesting quote from Joel Embiid uh, yesterday because the Boston Celtics beat the 76ers 105-87. to And Embiid said, this is not a rivalry between us and the Celtics because the Celtics always beat us. It's true. I love that. I, I love that honest, brutal quote. You know, we had a, uh, in high school, we had a rivalry against Columbia River High School and we trounced them every single year. Every single year. And so going into my junior year, it's like, there's no rivalry here. We kill you guys. 
And then, of course, on a fluke, they beat us on national television. It was ridiculous. And, uh, I mean, before before they beat us on a fluke play, we'd won every game by, like, 30 points. And then the rivalry was back on. And I hope we get a moment like that from the 76ers and the Celtics where there's a big national controversy. The Celtics are mad. And the, the 76ers are like, <laughs> we got one over on the Celtics. That's what I want to see from the 76ers and the Celtics. I desperately would love to see a rivalry develop between those two teams. So those, for me, those are the five teams I'm really excited to watch. The five teams I'm curious about are the 76ers, the Celtics, the Lakers, the Warriors, and the Raptors. I was talking to my friend Jesse, though. My buddy Jesse played college basketball. Um, he, I'm going to have him on the show someday. He's absolutely a college basketball expert. What he told me was, I need to watch the Portland Trailblazers. Ironic, I'm from Portland, couldn't care less about the Blazers. Um, he says the Blazers are a very interesting team. This is his wisdom, not mine. He said, they're a few years removed from a number three seed. Um, they probably are likely and possible to nab a playoff spot. They're aiming probably for the seventh or eighth seed in the uh, NBA Western Conference. And Damian Lillard is due for a really good year, according to my friend Jesse. Again, we will have him on the show. He's a football expert, a football genius, love the guy. Really, legitimately, the most informed guy about basketball that I know in the planet. Um, he's, he's wonderful. So I want you to tell me, what have I missed? Those are the six teams that I'm kind of curious and following. What storylines have I missed? Because personally, I don't care at all about the Rockets. I don't care about the Thunder. Couldn't interest myself more. Do you care about the Rockets? Do you like the Thunder? Why? Why not? Just please, I would love to know. Um, what storylines do you think I should pay attention to? And this year's NBA season. Because I, I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not a huge NBA guy. I love the NFL. I love quarterbacks. Um, I prefer the NBA to baseball. I think baseball is just too often. But did I miss anything? Because that's what I'm going to follow this year. And if there's something you want me to cover that I didn't mention, let me know. Tell me. Because I'm, I'm all ears. I want to give you guys the topics you want me to talk about. I want to follow the storylines you want me to talk about and want me to follow. So let me know. Give me a comment down below on YouTube and tell me. What do you guys want me to talk about in relation to the NBA? All right. Last thing of the day. Last topic of the day. Let's talk about the Major League Baseball playoffs. Talk about the ALCS, the NLCS. Uh, for the record, I'm rooting for the Dodgers and the Red Sox to play each other in the World Series. That is what I want. And right now, I'm finding baseball is, without a shadow of a doubt, the hardest sport to cover because there's a game every day. Every single day. I mean, last night, the game four between the Dodgers and the Brewers ended after 11.30 p.m. on the West Coast. There's no way anybody, any of my followers in Boston, there's no way you were watching that game. And then after ending a game right before midnight last night, they play again at 2 p.m. today. I'm like, what? What the heck? How do you, how do you follow that? Who scheduled that game? Game ends at midnight. Next day, you're playing at 2 p.m. Like, how, how do you talk about that? How do you prepare for that? I don't have any time to recalibrate from the last game. It's weird to me. I'm not a fan of baseball because of that. It's too often. There's too many games. I, I, can't, I need a break between games. Like in the NBA, you talk about a game on Monday. They play Monday. They take Tuesday off, and they play again on Wednesday. You have a break to recalibrate, to think about what happened. What am I excited for the next game? I like the NFL. The NFL is perfect. Baseball too often. I, don't, I hate the way they schedule baseball. But it's also worth noting, when baseball matters, oh my, it's so fun. It's so good. The drama, like baseball in 
July, like we're like 75 games into the season and some guys taking forever to pitch in baseball in the playoffs when it matters, it's so much more intense and so much more interesting. I mean, Ryan Braun got on base in like the bottom of the 12th or 11th or some random inning last night, stole a base. And I was, my heart was like pounding out of my chest and I don't mind that you have like a 25 pitch at bat because it's tense. It's in, it's interesting. It's intriguing. In July, you can't get me to care about a 25 pitch at bat. I'm like, nope, fast forwarding. I'm changing the channel. I don't care. Um, but it is worth noting that this is really, really great baseball. It's I think the Dodgers lead the series three to two now as of today. The surprise of the Major League Baseball playoffs so far is that uh, in game one of the NLCS, Clayton Kershaw gave up four runs and just three innings pitched, got blasted by the Brewers. Didn't expect that. I didn't expect Clayton Kershaw to struggle. He played. He pitched better uh, today in game. Was it game six? Question. Game six. Um, but ultimately, like, no. That'd be game five. Game five tonight. Clayton Kershaw pitched better. Um, but right now, the Dodgers lead the series three to two. We are so close. I just want the Dodgers and the Red Sox to play each other in the Major League Baseball World Series. That's all I want. No offense to the Astros, but I or the Brewers. I just want to see the Dodgers and the Red Sox, two historic, wonderful baseball cities and teams I can get on board with. If it's the Dodgers and the Red Sox, I'm done. I don't really care who, I won't root for anybody. I'll just enjoy it. I'll enjoy baseball. We'll have a game on Monday, another break, game on Wednesday, no back-to-back games. I can get on board with that. I enjoy that. And I really love, you know, baseball, any sport really when it matters is really interesting to me. Like, you're not going to get me to care about a college basketball game in November. Sorry, I just, I can't care. But March Madness happens, and games get intense, they get really important, and I just lock in. I think it's fun. I feel the same way about baseball. I, I don't watch baseball at all. All year, I couldn't care less. And then we get to the playoffs, and I go, oh, now I can watch. Now I can enjoy all these long, drawn-out at-bats. So that's my opinion on the ALDS, NLCS, um, sorry, ALCS, NLCS, um, Major League Baseball playoffs. Guys, that's my show. Thank you so much. We've been going probably for, it'll cut down to probably an hour, 20 minutes. Um, I just want to say thank you. I, I appreciate you tremendously. It's been a, it's been a, a tumultuous time for me. I, uh, I struggle with depression a lot. About every five to six months, I, I've talked about this on the show before, I just get really deep in my head. I can't get out of bed. I really struggle. And uh, I just try to have a positive attitude every day. If you follow me on Instagram, that's the thing I talk about constantly. Um, and so I finally, I, ha- I want to tell you guys, I got through it. Um, as of last night, I- I'm done. I have, I'm good. Like rainbows and butterflies and sunshine, everything. Now I'm, I'm good. I got through that tough period. It happens about every five, six months. And so, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm grateful. For you. I-, I-, I, more than anything, really tremendously appreciate you guys watching the show. It means a lot to me. And uh, it's my favorite thing I do. So thank you so much. Remember, you can subscribe on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on YouTube. If you're an hour, 20 minutes into the show, you know what I'm going to say. All I ask is tell your friends about this podcast. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. My name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so much. That is all I have. But um, bum bam, we are done. Bye.